I mean, it's like the wind. It can be a gentle breeze or a hurricane. You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. This episode stems out of a partnership with Brooklyn Public Library, where we explore how different organizations, groups, and people aim to create space for folks who are often disenfranchised and disempowered by normative systems at work in our world. Stick around at the end of the episode to hear from Tim Berrigan, a literacy advisor in the Adult Learning Center at the Brooklyn Public Library. In this episode, we speak to Zeely Brown, a Black queer artist and cellist based in New York City. She creates soulscapes, sights and soundscapes that invoke the temporality, sacredness of a connection, and layers of history embedded within feelings of refuge. Zeely's sanctuary spaces draw on her personal and ancestral traditions of music, cuisine, scent, ritual, and community. Throughout this episode, you'll hear the music that Zeely has produced as a part of her practice. into a space I think does this space need me and if it does like what can I say or what can I do or if I'm invited to work in a space um, I want to think about what's around this space um, if it's a space where there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on around it. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of joy. There's all of this stuff. There's all of this history. And I'm staring at a plain white wall. Like maybe something needs to change there for it to work. But also like, I'm thinking about how do I want this place to feel? No one forgets how something made them feel. And I always want to make sure that, especially Black and Brown people, queer and trans people, um, but in a broader sense, like anyone who's really been through it, comes to one of my spaces and feels even just being there for a minute or so leaves like feeling that they've that they got something from it that they were able to breathe a little better that they're able to hold their heads just a little higher um walk a little taller feel a little more prepared for life through her work, Zeely dismantles the idea that society can't exist without the exploitation and violence that capitalism and colonialism create. She imagines a new world that is comforting, caring, and healing for everyone. 
I think a lot about sanctuary, queer sanctuary, black sanctuary, what it means to create community in spaces that were never meant for us. Um, like, I'm, I'm very much grounded in a community, in a place that I grew up in, in rural Alabama, the places that I grew up in, in San Antonio, um, places that are in between, places that feel comfortable, places that shelter one and allow one to rest and create um, radical means of confrontation of kind of the violence of the world, but in a way that's not kind of directly oppositional, but in a way that is comforting and caring and leaves one feeling healed instead of broken. I try to attack this idea of people who want to go to Mars instead of fix the earth. American history and what we're living through is cursed by this absolute ignorance of the ways that indigenous black people traditionally viewed relations between man and nature. Um, and it always put, and it always othered this kind of cyclical kind of thinking under a banner of Christianity or under a banner of economic profit. Um, and it's gotten to a point where our existence on this planet is imperiled that people are thinking, oh, let's go to Mars. That's the best idea. Clean up your mess. Celie's inspiration is rooted in her own lived experience and the art and rituals she has encountered along the way. She came to see patterns of radical resistance, living within the architectural, cultural, and religious aesthetics of Afro-Atlantic communities throughout the world. Work based on Black Southern, Haitian, Cuban, Brazilian, Yoruba, Dahomey, Congo, that kind of cross-section of connections and differences that lies on the Afro-Atlantic. That transformed me. And the things that I'd grown up with it in this like little town in Alabama, I came to realize how, you know, you see an aesthetic pattern and you're a big beadwork that's then repeated in the colors of the buildings and the co colors of a religious procession in Brazil that's repeated in the colors of the buildings in Jacques Malhede that's repeated in the ironwork of um, New Orleans that's repeated in the quilt work of G's Bend, Alabama. Um, and seeing these like aesthetics pop up through unspeakable hist histories of colonization and tragedy over and over again as forms of radical resistance, as places of power and empowerment 
um, seeing that, um, I didn't want to do anything else. At college, I won um, a scholarship to go study abroad in Brazil. And I was really interested in the Afro-Brazilian religious ceremonies, the Candomblé ceremonies in Salvador de Bahia, which is a city in Northeast Brazil. It was um, the primary port of entry for most of the slave ships in Brazil. Um, and it is um, the um, one of Brazil's like blackest cities um, in the country that has more uh, the most black people in the world outside of Nigeria. And um, just seeing those ceremonies um, where there was dance and costume and food and incense and song and drums and um, herbs and all of this coming together in a form of worship that had survived great trauma. And found a way to take root thousands of miles from home. But never forgetting where it came from. Um, I tried to replicate that on a tiny, tiny, tiny scale. Celie also carries the tradition she learned from her grandmother and her mother into the sanctuaries that she creates. I learned uh, sewing and quilting and embroidering and rug hooking and cooking and storytelling and all of these things um, that my grandmother taught me that were traditionally women's work. And I think it was a way traditionally for me to like express <laughs> a baby trans, proto-trans, whatever you want to call it, queer identity um, and still be accepted in the fold of my community. Um, I think a lot about how those traditions of work and care, even though they were tied to some kind of system exploitation, existed outside of capitalism. And this idea that I'm going to take all I can out of the situation because it's best for me right now and screw the consequences. Um, and in a lot of ways, there were the opposite of that. It was things about survival and provision and care and making sure people had enough to go around. And when there wasn't, enough to go around finding a way. And so I think refuge makes love, refuge does love. 
Now, we're going to take a short music break to listen to Zeely's song, Alabama Dawn. The episode will continue afterwards, so keep listening. For one of her projects, Zeely set up a refuge at Harlem's Caribbean Cultural Center and Afro-Diasporic Institute. As she describes it on her website, the space was composed of a large, quilted, unbleached denim floor, a table with various objects placed upon it, a number of wall drawings in white graffiti marker, four large denim paintings, two chairs which were used to clean collards during the opening, and roses hung from the ceiling, as well as a quote from James Baldwin. I did an exhibition called Colored Greens at Cotty 
during the opening, I had maybe like $200 worth of collard greens, just this giant heap of collard greens. And I started cleaning them as kind of a performance piece. And I invited people to come. You could come and clean them with me and talk and we chat and wash the greens and separate the leaves from the stems. And by the end, there, end of the piece, there is this entire circle of, you know, this entire circle of femmes, just like all sitting around this pot, cleaning collard greens. And it was just the welcome to come, come join and come do this. Come do this with me. When I asked Celie what refuge felt like, she answered, I think the real question is what does refuge do? Like, I think, because uh, I think refuge is a function of a space. It's not the space itself. It's um, refuge makes you feel comforted and heard and loved. Refuge makes you have some sense of comfort and some sense of grounding in your own culture and community. Celie's work spans different temporalities, geographies, and experiences. I think a lot about multi-temporality, um, how we are the products of decisions made hundreds of years ago that we cannot change, but we must claim responsibility for if we are ever to really cl claim our place in this world. Um, and I think about the ways that you know, though the ghost of the past may haunt us, we can also claim a redemptive place in this now. And I really try to think about how to guide people to that space. Um, and I also think about the pace of life in the woods in coastal Alabama, which is very slow. You drive slow. Um, if there's a hearse on the other side of the road, you pull onto the shoulder and stop and wait for the funeral train to drive by. Your cousins are constantly coming over and you're always going over to their place. I think there's aspects of that community that I'm really trying to conserve in my work. Ultimately, she's working against the commodification of life and reminding us of the sacredness of relationships with other people, with the land, with ancestors, with ourselves. I'm working towards folks who have a disparate, disparate forms of experience and life ways, all finding ways to live 
work, care, care for and support one in one another. Um, especially in an age where nearly every social interaction that happens online is a commodity for some company or another. I, I'm working towards a realization that some things are sacred and cannot be sold or bought. I'm working towards a form of care that is not a commodity, but just is because it is necessary and because it is healing and because <laughs> without it, we're fucked. While Zeely creates spaces of healing and care outside of institutions, Tim Berrigan tries to foster safer spaces within an institution, the Brooklyn Public Library, where he teaches in the Adult Learning Center. He often works with students who have experienced trauma either within the education system or had their education interrupted because of a traumatic experience. If you walk into a classroom, particularly a classroom at the library, you can quite possibly see like the entire world in this sort of explicitly communal space, working towards similar goals with very different experiences. When working with his students, Tim also tries to create a sanctuary of sorts a place for students to be their full selves and acknowledge that what happens outside of the classroom directly impacts their experiences within it. He does this by creating connections with his students and holding space for them. People want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be called by their name. They want to know that you know them and they want to feel safe they want to feel valued. Someone comes in and they immediately put their head down on the desk. Sometimes someone says, yeah, I just had a headache. Sometimes someone says, I may be getting evicted. You know, like the, the diversity you can encounter is almost so complex that to an extent I try to just constantly utilize some basic frames and then sort of let the interaction or experience I have with the person sort of articulate the frame or the response. In order to foster a nurturing environment for his students, Tim realized that he had to unlearn many of the educational practices he had been taught. I feel like I was emphasized to not consider what was happening outside of the classroom. And there, there was a little bit of like a people are responsible for themselves. Their job's not to, it, I guess in, in, in a sense, it was not to see the student as a whole person, but to see the person as a student. People aren't obligated to come to the classes at the library. People often show up because they want to. And often it's not 
you know, their first go at it. They may have been that very student who was sort of like, let kind of, all right, you go off and do your own thing in high school. And now they're in a space where that's not really like that sort of tacit lesson of like, you're going to learn the hard way. I don't think anyone really at the library subscribes to. If anything, it's like, how can we help you maybe unlearn all those, those hard lessons you had to learn? To learn more about the adult learning centers at Brooklyn Public Library and their students, head over to Borrowed, Brooklyn Public Library's podcast, to listen to the second part of this episode. You'll find the link in the show notes. To support artist and cellist Celie Brown, here are some of her upcoming exhibitions and projects. You can find links to some of the things she mentions in our show notes. I have um, a show coming up in 2022, um, Queer Mother's Space, at um, the Elizabeth Foundation for the Arts. Um, it'll be opening around Mother's Day of 2022. And I also have um, a series of prints online for sale that I'm using to um, support a project that I'm working on about uh, waste management in rural Alabama. Um, they're really beautiful prints. They're affordably priced, sliding scale, be generous. So you can find them at zeliebrownloveshoe.com. You've been listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. Interference Archive is a social space, exhibition venue, and OpenStax archive of social movement material. The archive is collectively run and volunteer powered, and we rely on donations to keep us up and running. To support what we do, go to interferencearchive.org and click on donate. Thanks for listening.